You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of SplatterPictures.net. What's up, cats and kittens? It's Wes Deadair Nipe here with Always. Typical Lydia. We got a moly oldie coming at you with the 1980s Motel Hell. That was perfect. That was darling. That fit so well. (laughs) Wes the Wolfman Nipe. Yeah. Oh, wait, I can't get out of this voice now. The rest of the podcast is this. I'll give you some nitrous. It might correct you. Oh, no. (laughs) That's supposed to be, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In all seriousness, though, Wolfman Jack is in this. Yeah, totally. As a preacher, which is akin to me to Ozzy as a preacher in Trick or Treat. That is actually uh, pretty good. Pretty deep cut. Uh, Wolfman Jack uh, offering to burn the Hustler magazine is about my favorite thing in the entire world. Is that a lewd magazine you got there? (laughs) I got the impression instantaneously that he's never going to burn that Hustler magazine. That's his forever now. Exactly. He confiscated in turn, just like the cop had, wink, wink, confiscated it from the kid. (laughs) Whatever. I like the way that he grabbed it in like his pincer too, almost like it might be filthy. I thought there was going to be a line in there like, why is it wet? (laughs) Or something. But yeah. Awfully sticky, officer. Gross. Which would have fit with this film. Very 80s, very uh, campy, but not really. Like, I'm struggling with the dark comedy or horror comedy title for this. Mm-hmm. Probably because, like, there's no laugh track and there's no yucks, you know? No, not really. There's not a direct... There's not a lot of direct jokes, except no. for characters that might joke with themselves a little bit but there's no comedy really inherent in what they're doing there's an extreme aspect to it because you are dealing with chainsaws and pig heads and a very outlandish plot but you could easily put a layer of grease on this whole fucking movie and it would definitely tonally become dark because the plot in itself is fairly dark. Yeah, and they do have a grease me up line, so that all fits. They definitely do. I mean, I will give certain scenes are a little bit more comedic, and I can see how people who are oftentimes not comfortable with some of the subject matter that's in this film would laugh a lot of it off. But no, I agree. I think that uh, tonally it was supposed to be, I mean, it's written all about it, how the fact that it's supposed to be more like a satire of these horror films but to me it kind of comes off as a, as a straight addition to hillbilly horror yeah it definitely is it's a bridge between a slasher and hillbilly horror for sure for sure mm-hmm. uh, definitely right up there with uh, bates motel sort of aesthetic going on with this hotel and the dark and twistedness it, it really sits with inbred for for me which is also in that same tone of a dark comedy that's not a comedy whatsoever. Uh, I think it's with the extraction of all slapstick. 
Mm-hmm. Had there been a slapstick moment, I probably would be more at home with the idea of this being a, a horror comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not just my dislike of comedy, by and large, uh, because you'll see I make a Revenge of the Nerds reference later on <laughs> to prove that I have watched a comedy that is not Ron Burgundy or Super Trooper. <laughs> That's right. She's seen a comedy that is, I'm going to conservatively guess, 35 years old. Were you born when this movie was made in 1980? Oh, no, I was not alive. Yeah. <laughs> I was not alive when Motel Hell was made. Um, my brother wasn't even alive when... My older brother wasn't even alive when uh, this movie was made. I think my sister might have been alive. I'm not sure. I was five. Well, there you go. Which is perfect. And I wish... I, I don't know when I saw this. I know that I did see parts of it as a young teen. I didn't remember a fucking lick of it. I remember getting this movie. Uh, we watched, by the way, the old Scream Factory edition of this, and I picked this film up specifically for the show, but I picked it up when the Blu-ray had come out, which was a couple of years ago, and I think it was in the early stages of planning for the show when we were thinking about what types of movies we'd want to do, and I was still kind of shy to ask for certain movies sometimes. Like, I was always kind of shy to make suggestions because we're kind of like, do we want to do this or should we do this or what about this one? And Because I don't know if you were going to poo-poo something or veto. I didn't know you that well. And we used to vote out movies really quickly Yeah, back in the day. Yeah, back in the day when we thought maybe we would do 10 of these and then <laughs> see what happens. Exactly. But And I'm not to say that we're like desperate for films. There's all kinds of movies that we want to do for various reasons. But I remember suggesting doing Motel Hell a long time ago because I knew that it would probably not be voted down by you. No, and I'd wanted to follow it up with Mountaintop Motel Massacre. Mm-hmm. So that might happen someday too soon, yeah. but not back to back because we've got a different plan. We have a different thread running along, little, yeah. our little silver thread that ties all these movies together, mm-hmm. tenuous, however it may be. But uh, yeah, I'm really glad that we got to watch this because this was crazy amounts of fun. (laughs) And coming off the high that is Texas Chainsaw Massacre, this fits really well. And we're going to be heading into some more serious films after this. Super serious. I was looking at our list earlier and I was thinking to myself, damn. Yeah, we're not going to have any fun for a while. So this was a really good entry. And again, I had just been recently gifted a copy of Inbred, which I had been urged to watch uh, ages ago by Chris from Bind Torture Cast. It's a favorite of, of his and, and Luke's as well. And Steve, I'm just, I'll am just i just say Steve's a fan. I don't care if he is, but I'll say he is. Uh, exact same sort of tone, as I said earlier. So I highly recommend fans of Motel Hall watch Inbred. If you've seen Inbred and liked it, Motel Hall is so fun. Yeah, absolutely. And to have decades between the two to show that this horror aesthetic really does stick really really well and it's not ever handled exactly right because i'm not a horror comedy fan horror comedies really fall flat Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the time but this is where it's done right i think this has just made a question pop up into my brain since you're not a horror comedy fan Mm -hmm. what is your overall opinion about horror from the decade of the 1980s horror comedy didn't necessarily reign supreme, but it was very prevalent, and the biggest horror comedies that are in our collective consciousness are from this decade. So does that sit well with you? Are you Because there's a lot of people uh, around my age uh, and then into your age 
that will maintain that the 1980s is the pinnacle of horror. All the best horror movies came out in the 1980s, period, end of story. There are some horror fans that believe that. Or at the very least, have tons of films from the 1980s. You were very, you were very young in the 1980s. But so my question is, eh, for the decade of the 80s, because of all the horror comedy or eh? Not because of all the horror comedy. Thumbs up due to the slasher horror and the more visceral horror that was coming out in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huge thumbs up for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we wouldn't have the same sort of gamut of horror that we have today, I don't think. I agree. Yeah. yeah, especially when they're feeding off the giallo and heading into more extreme things mm-hmm. and feeding mm-hmm. off of the uh, freedom of the 70s and a lot of the film freedoms that were afforded during that time and the things that they could show yes. and the boundaries they could push, right? So thumbs up for that. A horror comedy, that it's not. it doesn't even really enter my mind so much except for a few little gems or things that are mistaken for comedy like this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I understand. It just popped into my head because I was thinking, if you don't like horror comedy, do you like the 1980s? Not, of course, we know that not all horror from the 1980s is horror comedy because just the other day we were talking about serious horror that came out of the 1980s. Mm-hmm. You know, tons of it. Everything from stuff Clive Barker was doing to Cronenberg to... Yeah, like even Wes Craven, I don't find like like when when uh, Nightmare on Elm Street got wrestled away from him, wrestled away from him. He didn't want to do it, but um, then those became more comedic. But you know what I'm saying? Like even the first one's not a funny movie, not really. He, he was like, oh, he, Freddy was wisecracking, like kind of, but he was also cutting his own fingers off and ripping off his face, and you know what I'm saying? He was yeah. he was way scarier. It's and, not a comedy. Not it's really, not, comedy, not really. Yeah. And by the way, you can have jokes and things, and I still don't think it's a comedy. No, exactly. And and so that's how come Motel Hell really falls into this category for me as well, where I think the 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 kinky couple scene, yeah, it's funny. It's for sure funny. Mustache rides from Super Troopers. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, but one scene does not a comedy make. No, it's true. At the end of the film, sitting back, you don't feel like you've watched a comedy. No. Because I don't want to wash my eyes out. <laughs> And immediately watch something like Requiem for a Dream to fix yeah. my brain yeah, um, and bring me back down to Earth again or whatever. An Earth I like, anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like I've watched a horror film, definitely, especially with the ending, even with that ridiculous line that our uh, horror royalty, let's oh. call him what he is here, <laughs> Rory Calhoun spits out. He is horror royalty. He's got the Calhounes to take on horror in all forms. Does he ever? Does he ever? <laughs> because the only thing I've ever seen Rory Calhoun in, I swear to God, was Night of the Lepus. Yeah. Night of the Lepus, he's, yeah, his early roles include uh, something with Hitchcock. He'd done a lot of westerns. He, he, but that was kind of the era in which he was coming up to in Hollywood. Man, back in the day, Westerns reigned supreme, and there was a million of them. The way that they spit out superhero movies these days, they spit out Westerns back in the day, right? Yeah, the set was a Western set. Same with Night of the Lepus. Different set, too. Mm-hmm. I had to check and see if they were filmed at the same place, but not. But they were both, like, recycled oh, Western yeah. sets. Well, this whole movie was... Sh- uh, well, not the whole movie, but a lot of it shot on uh, Sable Ranch. Sable Ranch is one of those locations in California that just gets used and used and used and used. It's like uh, Bronson Canyon, just this cave that has been used 
so many times in so many movies, especially the low budget stuff. And and so Sable Ranch is kind of the same thing, especially with the old low budget westerns. Hmm. I wonder if there's any other horror shot there, because it really worked well for me. It's got that idyllic countryside, works great for this hillbilly horror look, like really, really well. Uh, but it is like, has that close enough to that just outside of town sort of modern feel. So it doesn't seem strange that people are just rolling in because it is a hotel, but it's kind of in the boonies, which doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but just enough sense to work. Like a lot of things in this film that don't make sense to me, but just enough sense to let it fly. Yeah, absolutely. Like Terry entirely. Every fucking thought process Terry has in this film. Oh, Terry, Terry, Terry. What do you want to say about Terry? She definitely has a thing for older gentlemen. She does have a thing for older gentlemen. Nothing wrong with that. Her and her boyfriend, Bo, at first, we didn't know how old he was. I thought he was just another Barney Rubble, like all the men in the (laughs) 80s tend to be. But he was an older gentleman. There's probably like a 25-year age gap going on there. Probably, probably. And for all of our friends and listeners out there that love to date people older than them, rock on. Yeah, you could fit a whole other person in between there. Holy fuck, can you ever. So this movie does start off. We get introduced to old Farmer Vincent. And boy, he seems just like a laid-back fella rocking on his porch. You know what that's like, rocking on your porch, just people listening for cars and and stuff like that. (laughs) Then he gets up, grabs his gun. Gets into his truck. And drives off. And then here we have just a young spring chicken couple. Not really, because it's Bo and Terry. Yeah, we thought Bo was was like Terry's age. So it appeared to be a young spring chicken couple. It's true. They're driving on, uh, driving in the, on a motorcycle with a sidecar. No one's in the sidecar. That's kind of baffling to me because That's where you put your pug <laughs> not what all the kids are doing nowadays does you does the pug wear biker goggles and has a little bandana and shit and a little, no a little scarf no bandana oh he's a motorist not a thug <laughs> he's got like a little fucking like ascot little ascot a little brown leather driving jacket does he got little pug fingerless gloves? No. Little maybe wrist of leather wristbands? Well, perhaps. <laughs> that would be adorable. Um, yeah, pugs are forever ruined by humans. Thank you very much. But one thing that I like about the beginning of this is it shows right off two things that have been ruined by horror films entirely, which are 50s era pickups. Oh, my God. And giant signs advertising meat. So we know what's going on right away. <laughs> it's a hillbilly horror and it's a cannibal horror oh yeah absolutely just on those things alone a 50s chev and or whatever it was and a meat sign well it takes all kinds of critters to make farmer vincent's fritters yes it certainly does i'm not clear exactly what a fritter is but i i can agree with all the critters <laughs> i like later on when they're talking about all the animals that their grandmother used to smoke <laughs> if it didn't move fast enough granny'd smoke it yeah, I like I like I like a lot of lines out of this. To me, looking at, at a film like this, watching uh, people, um, watching Farmer Vincent uh, kind of go about catching his prey, hunting, as it were. Yeah. Um, it's always interesting because I don't have any experience of farm life. I don't know anybody like that. I have vague memories of going up to farms 
that we've talked about on the show. And I kind of I'm more I'm more familiar with uh, since my dad was a bookkeeper and did a lot of people's taxes and a lot of small independent businesses and stuff like that. I'm more familiar with uh, trade workers. Like if you're in uh, drywall, if you're in if you're a roofer, I know those types of people. Um, so it's always fun for me to watch uh, just laid back farmers like this catching people on motorcycles, bring in uh, a woman who's still alive for some reason. For some reason, old Terry just seems a little special. Pick, I really thought she was going to be turned into beef jerky. Pick of the litter, always standing and walking like a young Rory Calhoun herself. I've never really understood that line because he was not anything exceptional, but I suppose he just stood around. Like a young Rory Calhoun, and that's how he landed most of his roles, it seems. <laughs> but she's definitely special in some way or shape or form because she gets brought to Granny's place, and this is where we're formally introduced to Ida. Yeah. Ida is, we're guessing, we're guessing that Ida is Vincent's sister. Yeah, you because know, they do talk fondly about living with Grandma. So yeah. I, they never really make it clear, though. Cousin something. Yeah. It's it's really hard to say. Could be anything. Like the, the cop, Bruce, is Vincent's brother. So, like, it is, like, this whole family thing, and they don't really say that until later on, but it's clear that they share a last name. I wouldn't be surprised if everyone in this whole little village's last name is Smith, though. <laughs> really. It's it's not entirely unreasonable. Now, old Brucey boy comes up to the house when uh, Terry finally wakes up. Good thing because it's probably a lot more comforting to know that one minute you're riding on the back of the motorcycle with your boyfriend or whatever, and the next thing you know, you wake up in a strange place. You have no idea who you are, but at least there's a police officer present. And good news, your boyfriend, Bo, is dead, and Farmer Vincent has taken the liberty of burying him already. Mm -hmm. And this is about a point in the movie where I take a humongous step back and I say, hang on a second. Yeah, right. Hang the fuck on a second here. This is not, I don't even, I was going to say a random year as if this would be appropriate, but this is not the old West. This is not... 1888. Yeah, we have like laws and procedures and... No, 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 no. According to Bruce, in this jurisdiction, that's perfectly okay. It's perfectly okay that under, under extraordinary circumstances, you can bury a body in a cemetery without telling anybody. You don't have to contact their next of kin. You don't have to contact the authorities. You just grab a shovel... And then take a broken piece of wood and fucking fire etch his name on it and his date of birth, which you happen to know because you grabbed his license. Like a thief. And then you just have to tell the person that was with him, he died and I buried him. What the fuck? I'm going to test this out. Wait, whoa, hang on a second here. <laughs> uh, ages ago, I was taking photos up at this big um, cemetery in North Bay and... Normally, being a goth type person with a camera in a graveyard oh, can yeah. go bad. Uh, so when they come up to you and say, "Are you taking photos?" You're not going to lie. You're going to say, "Yeah," because you got a camera in your hand like an idiot. Some little Lydia Deets walking around like you're going to get away with a lie. Um, so of course I said, "Yeah, I am definitely." He's like, "Good. There's something I want to show you." And it was someone had gone up at night and secretly buried two people and left wooden crosses. And the hand, their hands were tied because, hey, like, that's totally not legal, right? In this mm -hmm. jurisdiction, if you want to say. 
I don't think it's fucking legal anywhere, but like they didn't know what to do and they couldn't just exhume the bodies, even though those two plots were slated for someone else and had been like left open for a future burial. They had to like postpone that funeral and figure out what to do and look up the names and try and get permission to exhume the bodies because they couldn't just do that. So if you do bury someone in a graveyard, I guess their hands are kind of tied for a while. Wow. Where was this? In North Bay. North Bay. This was about 1995, 96. Wow. Not that long ago. It's so fucking strange to me. It's almost the strangest thing in the film, Lydia. Almost. But stranger is Terry's reaction to it. I guess I'll just stay here. I guess she doesn't run screaming. I mean, what the fuck? And this is also where I thought Bruce was really in on this. Like, I, I've... How I've could you not think that? Yeah, tainted by the police in the remake of, like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So mm-hmm. knowing the Hewitts as well as I do, mm-hmm. I just figured that this was a cop or not a cop and definitely in on this. And just, like, that's what we do. We kill fucking people and bury them. We've seen enough hillbilly horror to know that... People in the town are usually in on it or the authority figures are usually in on it or turn the other way or, you know, don't want to make too much noise around here. So why don't you just never do this again and take off? I'm trying to like paraphrase the last lines from Deliverance where they just tell them to fuck off. Yeah. This is sort of the beauty of this film, though, is that it rides that line really well Mm -hmm. between what you know other people know, what you think other people know, what you think about the countryside and what you think about meat processing and Mm -hmm. what you think about the way that the town is functioning and who's in on this and who isn't, Mm -hmm. let alone just hillbilly horror entirely. Yeah. Because it is a very, very modern entry to hillbilly horror. And I could see some people excluding it entirely. Yeah, a lot of times when you were talking about hillbilly horror and you were leaving the decade of the 1970s, uh, people can get a little finicky about what they want to consider classic additions into this genre. Even though there's modern versions of this genre, there are. Uh, typically, they're a little bit more low budget, although there's some couple of bigger releases. And of course, when hillbilly horror gets remade, then those do count as modern, modern versions of it. But then again, I find that a lot of times... Not a lot of times, but I find that modern hillbilly hoyle can move characters more to the grotesque specifically. It's all in breeding. It's all yeah. big monster guys. And this and... sort of turns this on its head because the uh, the parent brother and sister aren't fucking that we can tell. They have yeah. the idiot malformed offspring. And the townsfolk seem to really respect and get along with this person sort of like um the sawyers are respected for their chili but mm-hmm. even more so yeah and people are asking whether or not world famous and stuff like that uh i'd love to see this remade actually even though it doesn't need it at all like it's perfect as is only because rory calhoun looks so much like ray wise and <laughs> the girl that played ida looked so much like kathy bates and if i could just like go back and cryogenically freeze the Olsen twins and bring them in for the next scene, I would just, I would love to see this remade and get a little darker. Suck every ounce of comedy out of it. Yeah. Yeah, just get a little bit darker. No, 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 I could definitely see that. But I think... fun. I think... Ray Wise would do... He'd kick Roy Calhoun's ass so hard. (laughs) Be that as it may, now for some inexplicable fucking reason, Terry... 
is just going to stay there. I guess the initial idea was that she was going to stay there until she was feeling well. Yeah. She's not going to go to the hospital and seems to think it's a good idea to just stay with the Smiths. It's going to eat their food, hang out, picnics. Yeah, make eyes with their brother Bruce, the cop, the sheriff, no less. Yeah. And she does seem to take a shine to him, even though during this nice idyllic picnic scene, which is straight out of Song of the Open Road, if you're going to watch <laughs> 50s like musicals, it, it's very, very idyllic. And adorable and almost like a church picnic type of look to it except they're talking about what granny had taught them to smoke and like how they smoked and ate their dog and stuff like that and she starts getting really weirded out but still sticks around yeah and it almost seems like the worm is going to turn in that conversation because listen she seems like a fairly modern woman of 1980 and i think that if someone was talking about smoking a dog and they're all just laughing, laughing. And especially since it sounds crazy because Vincent wasn't told to kill and eat the dog. He was told to shush the dog because it was barking too much. And he just was like, oh, I shushed it all right. I killed it, you see, Terry. And we cooked it, smoked it rather. Yeah, yeah. And we ate it. And they're all just laughing and carrying on. And she's like, she does look very weirded out by this. But I suppose it's a sort of initiation. And sometimes there is that huge divide between the modern world. And like you said, she's a modern woman of the 1980s when, you know, plastic was fantastic. And this is a whole different world to her. So instead of doing as the Romans do, she's, she pulls this face, right? But... I don't think that's all that weird because, like you said, that you're you don't don't know much about these country folk and killing killing animals. And I don't know anything like about that. it. No, I do know. Like I'd said to Wes when we were recording, I don't know everything there is to know about meat processing, but I know just enough to make this a fun episode of Dead Air. Oh God! <laughs> but you can smoke all of those things, and I've eaten most of those animals, save dog. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Um, and that sort of brutality didn't exist in the farmlands I was familiar with whatsoever. Although we heard tell of people treating animals like that, not smoking and eating them, but you know, being very very brutal to farm animals of all kinds. So it's it's definitely something that exists out there. Deep in the culture where the, I guess things are a little bit more matter of fact there, right? And it's a life that they grew up in. Yeah, especially when they're... I was surprised to see an FDA representative out there on the farm. Because as my grandmother's hobby farm, she was had a food safe kitchen and was regulated by Health Canada the way that she's supposed to be. But no one ever came and inspected or visited the way you'd inspect or visit a slaughterhouse right Mm -hmm. so they were treating this like a slaughterhouse and that that's sort of that that place where legality started to encroach upon hobby farms backyard farmers and stuff like that from my point of view as someone who came from a little like a farmland type lifestyle i viewed it as encroaching on someone's livelihood and freedom to like live however they want but from a modern point of view from a city point of view it's definitely needed because people are eating that, right, to be safe. So this is at that time when all of these laws were starting to touch small farmers. So I was kind of surprised to see that inclusion, but it, it was yet another thing that crossed into that modern 1980s with the 
leftovers of the countryside 1980s. Mm-hmm. Not only that, but the thing about Farmer Vincent is that he's quite famous. His meat products are only distributed about 100 miles, a uh, 100-mile radius of the farm itself. But it is considered second to none. This is a, a local hero. This is um, someone whose face is on billboards and, and canisters. And you know that if you're getting Farmer Vincent's uh, meat, you're getting top quality meat. And there's nothing else quite like it. And so he does very well for himself. The thing about Farmer Vincent's pig farm is that it's also a motel. So Motel Hello. <laughs> motel Hello. <laughs> There's hell here. Yeah, like in Catwoman. <laughs> or the Hotel Coral Essex in Revenge of the Nerds 2, I think. Wow. Yeah. Not I, only are you making a Revenge of the Nerds, you're making a Revenge of the Nerds 2 reference. Well, I do like sequels. Was that where they go to Hawaii? I, I must be. I don't know. I hardly remember. All I really remember about that is that they wanted to draw clients into this hotel to make money. So they blanked out some of the letters and the neon signs that said hot oral sex. And I was like, ugh, clever, but ugh. <laughs> and that's all I really remember that film. When I was in high school, there was a sign on the wall on a piece of paper that had been printed out that said um, interim courses. I altered it so it said intercourses. <laughs> wow. Genius. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was, it was my attempt at uh, meatballs-esque <laughs> prank. Good job. Good job. And that is a good job. Yeah. And to think you weren't even born in the early 80s and you came up with that all by yourself. Yeah, there was a continuous uh, tape of Louie Louie playing while I did it, too. Uh-huh. I could see that. Yeah, totally. Did someone snap you with a wet towel on their way back from the locker room? <laughs> they did. They did. Okay. Cool. Cool. I can see it. It's not, it's not just pigs at this farm, though. It's not just pigs at this farm. No, <laughs> there's way more than just pigs. It is a nice pig farm, though. Like, there's these two little twin girls that show up with their mom and dad. Their wiener dad, as you had pointed out. Yeah, he's wiener dad. He's a wiener dad. It's not that he's made of hot dogs. It's just that he's just a big old wiener with a tweed jacket and goofy glasses. And he's supposed to look like a, like he's getting ready for a fucking cuck show, man. <laughs> I suppose. I love his little twin daughters, but they end up kind of sneaking out into the slaughterhouse, which is, there's example after example of the city meets country that I really, really love. And this is just another little tiny one of these two little adorable girls coming from probably church because they look like they're dressed for church with little balloons and whatever. Adorable. Sort of sneak on into the slaughterhouse and see all the dead pigs and, and pig heads and things like that and saws and chainsaws and gore and things is disgusting and scary so then when a pig body comes flying out from the back room on the meat hook scares the hell out of them and then someone pops up wearing this big crazy pig mask which (laughs) might even be just a a flensed meat pig head but it looks way bigger than any pig head and it's sort of cartoony so the pig mask Mm -hmm. which scares them a little bit and they go running and screaming wiener dad hardly reacts yeah. He says they never hawked like this, which is like fucking stupid. They're streaming tears down their face and screaming in absolute terror. Mm-hmm. What did you see? Doesn't matter about it. Farmer uh, Vincent decides to just scream at them to scare them even worse, and that calms them right down. Yeah. Yeah. Like cures like. <laughs> Fuck. 
Yeah, it's it's weird that people just accept fucking everything in this. Anything fucking goes in this. Terry accepts that she's being taken in by this kindly farmer and his sister. And she's mm-hmm. just going to live there, it seems. These little twins have been trespassing and scared shitless. And everyone's just like, ha, ha, ha. See you later. Thanks for the meat. Mm-hmm. Okay. Also something that seems that the entire county is really complacent as, uh, too, is the massive amount of missing persons that have to be going on. Let me tell you something. Farmer Vincent's secret garden, it's like fucking if you want to imagine like what you might think that the Cabbage Patch kids came out of. Basically, yeah. Basically, yeah. Has what, a dozen people in it? Yeah, and they're planted up to the shoulders. They take yeah. a giant auger and the nicest tracker I ever did see. Oh, yeah. Nicest tractor I ever did see. Oh, yeah. And they take this huge auger and drill a person-sized hole. It's a great operation that he's got set up here. And then they just dump the, the semi-drugged, like, sleepy people in there and bury them up to the neck, which is kind of a, a good little um, double entendre where they are heads of cattle in a way, mm-hmm. and they're just heads in the garden, and I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Treating them as heads of cattle. Mm-hmm. We learn that, of course, Bo did not die in that uh, motorcycle accident. He's quite alive. But I he... thought he was turned into beef jerky. Uh, no, well, no, but he is definitely alive, and his throat has been cut, his vocal cords have been severed, and he is only able to make a, a gurgling, growling roll sound. Uh, kind of like that. But... That was fun. Let's do it again. <laughs> no. Uh, make this podcast <laughs> unlistenable. There's a lot of people there with burlap sacks on their heads, and they seem to be being kept very still and in the secret garden, and they're being fed. And that seems to be their current lot in life, although I'm not sure how much longer that lot is going to be. Farmer Vincent says something quite interesting when they're driving to this place. And is that what he enjoys most about what they do, which he believes is true, good, honest, God-fearing work. Uh, And you'll hear a little bit about his philosophies on the fact that he mixes up human meat into his ham and, and shit like that to improve the flavor. But what he likes about it is the methods in which he gets to trap people because it's pretty much the same method over and over again, although with varying aspects. For example, with the bike, it looks like he just laid traps over top of it. Another instance, he... Oh, he did shoot the tire out. Oh, excuse me. So with the motorcycle, what he does is he shoots the tires out and in another instance, he puts fake cows up. They talk about this fact that one time they had Ida laying by the side of the road as if she were in trouble. Bear traps. They use all kinds of things. And what he likes is the create... the. It's He's like, it's an opportunity to be creative. And uh, Ida chimes in, was all like artistic almost. And that seems to be what they really enjoy. But they do have all these different methods to basically run people off the road. And it seems to work. I mean, they run fucking a band, Ivan the Terrible, with this juiciest fucking van I've seen since Slick's van. Ivan and the Terribles. And I can picture you in that van over a Slick's van now any day. It is very you. I don't know if you would be the singer or the guitarist or you'd be paired off with that um, probably sexy bass player lady mm-hmm. or palling around Cliff Clavin, the drummer. <laughs> uh, John Ratzenberger is fucking in this bitch pre-cheers. Yeah. 
pre-Cheers. He's just a fucking no-goodnik, hell-bent for leather. He doesn't have much to say, oddly. No, and neither soon neither one of them will. And you think that every time you get introduced to these characters, you think, oh, look, more cast members to actually have more scenes. But they pretty much all just have the same scene where they get run off the road in some shape, way, shape, or form. They're overtaken by Farmer Vincent, and then they're put into the dirt. Their throats are cut. They're sealed right back up. They're alive. And then they're just left there to sit in the ground until they're ready. I really enjoy a little bit of this where they're sort of treated to me. What I was thinking is like, what sort of animal do you keep, you know, uh, cloistered in the dark, kept still with no muscle, real, like you don't want any acids building up in their muscles or anything. And it's a lot like veal. It's a Mm. lot like the way that they raise veal, where they're keeping these people absolutely still and, and darkened. So they're not using their muscles, but they're feeding them. And I don't know exactly what they're feeding them, but it's probably something with highly tuned macros to feed that meat, right? And get a particular flavor. The same way you would feed um, pigs, nothing but apples for days and days before a roast, right? Mm-hmm. To get some sort of flavor going on mm-hmm. in them. Or you can fill up their intestines with yams, apparently, too, which is always fun. I've never eaten it, but you can make a sausage out of their intestines. It's like pre-packed sausage because they've eaten absolutely nothing but something, right? I, I would never do it myself but it's an interesting concept so whatever they're feeding them definitely is flavoring this meat that people have been eating for a 100 mile radius over 30 years so he's Mm -hmm. been doing this for quite some time so i can see keeping it creative needing to keep it fresh and interesting for him Mm -hmm. and it has a lot to do with the meat preparation itself but that has to mean that there have been hundreds thousands of people taken over 30 years in this one area. Yeah. And it's the same stretch of road. And he's very lazy about getting rid of fucking vehicles and shit like that. Mm-hmm. We find out later. And I love I love that scene because it's a nice twist on my favorite things when you find the suitcases full of shoes or the room full of fucking wigs and eyeglasses and the car lot of the cannibal hillbilly car lot right that's Mm -hmm. one of my favorite things in hillbilly horror always abandoned cars so it's got a nice twist on it for this one that wouldn't work so well now because of google satellite i wonder how many hillbilly car lights that we could find with google satellite i bet you could just google creepy things from google satellite and you can find it Oh, you're just going to find that guy with giving his dog a bath that everyone thinks is a dead body being thrown in the lake Oh, is that what people think? I've yeah. never even heard of that. Oh, I'll have to show you it. It's oh, okay. pretty stupid. <laughs> yeah, it has been this 30 years of hundreds of people missing, but it's just on the edge of that town and country thing where people do show up, but people can go missing. And I guess if people were passing through, it's difficult to even say where, when, and he is doing a lot of this stuff at night where, I don't know, people are passing through it. What do you think? Like 10, 11 o'clock at night, maybe mm-hmm. later? And you get just randoms coming in for a room. Yeah. Like really random randoms at that too. But like, and they are sort of putting the net out there in a way to hunt these people by drawing them in. Not only by having a hotel, but they advertise. Mm-hmm. And they advertise to draw in delinquents. And well, not delinquents. That sounds harsh considering but they do advertise specifically to draw in people who may be looking for a no-tell motel instead they find motel hell (laughs) they certainly do now as brucey oh brucey boy is trying to woo young terry 
taking her out on dates, being incredibly gross and forceful. Yeah. Fucking disgusting. And let me tell you something. Like, this entire scene drives me fucking crazy. Because, first of all, if you ask someone to a movie and they say yes and it's supposed to be a drive-in... Take them to the drive-in. But he's a cop and he's on duty, I suppose. I can see why he didn't go to the drive-in. And his little scheme is pretty enchanting, right? Except that I wouldn't want to watch a whole movie through binoculars. Oh, my God. Who would want to? So it brings her to this make-out point where they can watch the movie through binoculars and gets the, uh, the, the, the woman working dispatch at the police station to somehow put the fucking movie... I guess the movie runs on... Some frequency of the yeah, CB. Yeah, that's how a lot of them used to run, or a radio station, right? And it's the same thing. He actually radios the drive-in controller. Oh, is that what it is? So the I thought it was... the drive-in, uh, yeah. Oh, okay. I thought it was the dispatch It's person. that small of a town <laughs> that you can just radio the drive-in, and she's probably used to it. And if he is on duty, he is going to like be watching the people mm-hmm. at the drive-in. So that sort of makes sense. He doesn't want people car shopping or... But then... He they did. should have had this guy at the Blood Rage drive-in. Then oh. his twins would have been stopped. <laughs> then he gives her the look, Lydia. Oh, God. The look? The look. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. This is where I'm like, I gotta go and just get out of the car and start running. Fuck. You know what? She might have been good to do that because this guy, man, man, is he gross and just fucking throws himself at her. And she, to the point where she slaps him in the face and then... He goes for it again. Yeah. And then she's like pounding on him, fucking pounding on him. And then after a minute of her fucking like punching him to get off of her, he's like, all right. Why does this remind me of Tombs of the Blind Dead so much? <laughs> Scenes like this. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a holdover, I suppose. This is 1980 proper on the button. This is the watershed moment between the free loving 70s, the highly rapey 70s, highly and heading rapey. into a little more uh, feminist minded and, you know, dulling down that machismo, being able to take what you want. or if And, you and wanna... thinking that's what fucking people want. It's like, yeah. oh yeah, she's slapping me in the face and telling me no. That means I just go right in for the kill. Grab her by the pussy, as it were. Oh God. Oh God. I know. But that is what we were dealing with, right? That is where this is coming from. It's fucking disgusting. It is fucking disgusting, and it's not really acceptable, but you can't... I can't fault the movie made in 1980 for it. I'm not trying to. What I'm trying to say is, wow, I can't believe it. And especially her reaction, her non-reaction after he gets off of her. Well, they hear somebody's crying for help, and... He's like, okay, fine. She's like, wait, that wasn't me. So I'm thinking, whoa, are you a fucking cunt hair from saying, get back on me, you big stud? Yeah. I was like, well, that wasn't me. I didn't say help. What the fuck? And then she's totally willing to just sit in the car with them and like help them try to track down this person who's calling for help. It's like, <laughs> because Farmer Vincent's uh, cow standy grift isn't working the way he wanted it to well it sort of worked but they're two tough ladies that are gonna you know book it and know how to drive a car yeah high speed dukes of hazard style chase oh yeah and they fucking lose them when they jump chickasaw creek or at least one of them does but she eventually just gets what nudged gently into a lake and then just i guess she's her goose is cooked yeah while they're doing this chase she CBs them because everyone has a CB radio because it's the 1980s and that's what all the cool kids did, I suppose. Yeah. I don't know why she has a radio in her car. It's just weird to me. Yeah, break it, break it, good buddy. 
Not your buddy pal. <laughs> not your pal, friend. I'm not your friend, buddy. <laughs> I'm not your buddy guy. I'm not your guy, pal. <laughs> okay. I don't know. It's kind of weird to me, but they are tough chicks. He had bit off a little more than he could chew. Pun, pun, pun. And the word got out to the sheriff, which my mind is just bent wrapping around how he is not in on this. Mm -hmm. How my inclination as a horror movie fan and a hillbilly horror fan and thinking that everyone's in on this is that when he hears over the radio that someone's being chased and they, they do talk to the girl that's driving in the car and she says, someone's chasing me, they're trying to kill me, I'm on this highway, that he wouldn't just go like, oh, it's my brother trying to get more meat. You know, that's where I'm thinking, but I guess not. So he goes on this wild goose chase. We did get a glimpse of the 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 pool of cars that will come into play later as he does just nudge and drown her car. I didn't think that he'd taken the body out of it. She uh, they don't they show her in the patch later so he, he must have. Yeah. 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 I thought he would have just been convinced because oh shit this whole thing just went sideways. And so he was just like fucking cut Sweeping my losses. It under the rug. Yeah. yeah, cut my losses. Whoopsie daisy. I got one. One is good enough. Um, for now, I guess. More missing people that Ida patches up later with like, oh yeah, it was some kids playing a prank. Always fucking... It's baffling to me how often that excuse is used, how often people just accept it. And it strikes me as so lazy, but also such a comforting trope, like an old pair of slacks. Just, it was kids playing a prank. And everyone's like, yeah, yeah, kids playing a prank. Yeah. And everyone just forgets about it. Does that work in real life? Like if something really harrowing happens in real life and, and someone's like, hey, what happened? I could just say, oh, yeah, kids just playing a prank. And everyone's like, oh, teenagers, right? Well, I guess so. There was a guy that had reported finding fucking used needles in his Halloween candy. And apparently it was kids playing a prank. Oh. Yeah, just last week. Halloween. Got to be careful. Like, like a fucked up candy is um, one of those urban legends that just goes on forever, right? Yeah, so, right. Um, and then there's evil me hoping that they're just crying wolf. And someday, somewhere, kid's going to get a face full of fucking razor blades that their dad didn't put in their apple. Yeah, it's going to be like the end of fucking uh, Night of the Demons, right? Where that old man <laughs> just gets all the razor blades in his neck. Yeah, yeah. Um, when all this calms down, it's a fucking party at Motel Hell. Because we got ourselves a couple of patrons. Ooh. That are into, uh, uh, shall we call it, uh, alternative uh, sexuality. Why didn't you turn off the no vacancy sign? <laughs> yeah, these these people are down to swing. Yeah, I guess they had to advertise in the back of a swingers magazine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hot spots. <laughs> Which is just mental. So when they're like, so, like, what's the deal here? When they were saying, are we at the right place? I'm like, they had already flipped out about the meat and tasting so good. And he seemed to be in the know with the fucking meat, the, the man of this this couple. When they were like, are we at the right place? And mm -hmm. she was acting a little bit strange. I'm like, what the fuck are these people here for? But yeah, they were there to swing. And they were fine with uh, hanging out with Vincent and Ida for the night. Oh, yeah, yeah. They were into it. And that's what I dig about these guys. It's like 
there's no um, uh, physical, uh, uh, what do you want to call it, um, parameters. They just about, it's about sex and feeling good and having a good time. And filling those gaps. Fetish community is very, very welcoming. Surprisingly welcoming to someone on the outside, Mm -hmm. I feel. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm, Although mm -hmm. the girl on on the bed with the whip being a fucking idiot and smashing all the lamps with her whip, that's the sort of like vision of the fetish community that I wish would just fucking die a slow death. And they're too, they're way too, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, they're, they're, they're not establishing... Like parameters, there's no like, there's no there's just, no communication. Yeah, yeah, they're just they just are just so oh yeah, warm me up, and they're just like so into it. And you don't have a stranger come in to tie you up and gas you ever, ever, yeah. ever. Yeah. But they're just all like yeah, and that's that holdover from the swing in seventies, I suppose, yeah. where people weren't fucking being killed off and there wasn't as extreme fetish so people weren't dying accidentally quite as often so and maybe it just wasn't in the news safe saying consensual Mm. wasn't a thing that i know of or also this could be written by people who just don't have a a foot in that community they don't know any they don't really know anything right so it's this arm's length surface level picture of it that is disturbingly warped very 50 shades of gray kind of thinking oh exactly it's like 50 shades of gray exactly just like you don't know what you're talking about you're not part of this community don't create fiction for this community and don't be part of the problem of misrepresenting this community but again we could we could just throw it was 1980 on the button this was made this was probably all prepped and written in the late 70s they probably it was all shot in california so they probably knew people yeah like tangentially or they went to a fetish club once so you know what i mean like they just don't know anything the only thing that, that feeds me a little bit more credence with that is like the look that ida and vincent give them when they come in in their overalls with some ropes and it's very much the look of like the old guard doms looking down on the young pups and being like, I'm going to fucking flog the fuck out of you and you'll learn a thing or two. So they sort of had that dynamic going on properly, which mm-hmm. was kind of cool for that. And they also second. knew what was up, right? They saw, they saw that, that hotspots magazine and Ida not missing a beat. It was like, well, we didn't know we were going to be in this issue. Yeah. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, we're just not prepared today. And like, we'll be in in 10 minutes and let you get ready. Like, oh, yeah, they knew the score entirely and knew how it looked with them standing there. Like, we are this hillbilly dom couple that is going to rock your world. Yeah. yeah with our yeah. soft nylon ropes. It feels so silky on my skin. Yeah. <laughs> so, again, more heads for the garden. Yeah. Sexy heads at that. You Sexy know what? Heads. I like these guys. I like these guys a lot. They'll taste good. They Because I'll bet you they're vegetarians. Uh, but you know what? They probably are. Probably. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. They seem very modern, very hip, and in the know. Everyone else is fucking, like, oblivious to what the fuck is going on. And also we get an interesting plot point that you got shades of throughout the film very subtly, you might say. Not 50 of them, but some shades where you think does Terry has Terry does Terry look to this dude as some kind of paternal figure a lot of kissing on the cheek lots yeah. of very starry-eyed obedient and she's and still sticking around she's still sticking around she won't leave i felt she was brainwashed and i kept having these visions of like somewhere in LA there's an apartment that is completely abandoned with a dead cat in it and a bunch of rotten fruit yeah 
right? Where the fuck did this girl come from and why isn't she going back there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think about it in terms of she probably still lives with her parents because it's it's still late enough that uh, maybe she wouldn't consider getting a roommate or her parents wouldn't have it. And She's taking those years off between school and getting a job and just seeing the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was like, so maybe she's just staying with her, her parents and maybe like maybe or maybe she is a free spirit. Maybe she is a holdover of that uh, wanderlust age, yeah. right? But I don't know. Like it's really hard to say, but she basically acts like she has no place else to go. It basically looked to me like Bo was just a fucking dude that she met at a nearby bar and was going for a joyride. Yeah. Like it doesn't really. Be, and the only reason why I say that, guys, is because of the fact that like this fucker died not more than a week ago, and we're introduced to this concept that she has feelings for Farmer Vincent. And well, yeah, Brace just about raped her, so he's not going to be a good boyfriend. No, and and she seems so dismissive of that, but that's because we learn that her affection lies elsewhere, and we learn that because of a harrowing incident that he experiences with Ida. This is brings in an interesting concept of why has Farmer Vincent spared this woman? Why? Why her amongst all the others? It can't be because, oh, well, she he thinks that she's pretty. He hasn't There's... been hitting on her, and he doesn't seem... He seems to have a very Hewitt mentality when it comes to S-C-E-X. Absolutely. <laughs> very much so. He's an old-fashioned, God-fearing uh, man of a much older generation. And... He's probably like 125. He's <laughs> He looks to me, I, I mean, I don't know how old Calhoun was when he made this fucking flick, but he, he looks like he's in his mid to late 60s. It's like beef and jerky with a bit of white straw on the top of it. That's what he looks like. He's an old, wrinkly old man. He's a wrinkly old man. Uh, Terry is a much younger woman. No, whatever, like whatever, you, like age, whatever. Like, no, yeah, I'm not against age gaps. It is just surreal because it, it comes out of fucking nowhere. It comes out of nowhere. And it comes by the idea that Ida... Ida is kind of where we're at as the audience because she doesn't understand. She's nosing around too much. You keep keeping her at the farm. She's going to figure out what we're doing, but we're capturing people, killing them, yeah. eating them. And it seems no one else has ever gotten this close. I don't think Ida or Vincent has ever had a boyfriend or girlfriend. They're just no. this brother-sister duo. Yeah. And it's all just a very alien concept to Ida. And she's yeah. got some jealousies there, which I, it was hard for us to wrap our head around. Are they having sex? Is this an incestuous couple? We can't tell. Probably not. No, this there's the, no indication. There's yeah. zero indication. And my attitude is if there's no indication, if there's no scene dedicated to revealing anything, yeah. nope, then it's not happening. Yeah, there's not one word in this set that tells that. And there is, like, you can understand that little bit of jealousy because they are the best of friends as brother sister that mm-hmm. grew up and have and, this business. Yeah, and they got a system. It's the two of them. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and it's almost like this the power of this secret that they share between them is a closeness that no one else can really understand because it's something of their world that only exists with them and no one else, not even their brother Bruce, apparently. Yeah, until Vincent says to Terry that he's going to show her the secrets of smoking meat. Mm-hmm. And Terry mentions that to Ida. Yeah. Well, and, well, and, and Ida decides that it's time to go tubing. Tubing? you never been tubing. Uh, I have been tubing, as a matter of fact. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We used to do it all the time at my cottage. Uh, not quite as uh, – I, th- I feel like we were kind of doing 
when I say we were going tubing at my cottage, it was kind of more like the water ski t- style. Yeah, Vin Diesel Triple X Extreme Sport version. They just are sitting in inner tubes in the water, having a good time, enjoying their. It, you know, it seemed it look it looked relaxing. I'll give it that. I mean, my sister's children uh, like to try and stand on it while inevitably one of us pushes. Well, the that's other off. that's pretty horrible, extreme. That's pretty extreme. Painful, horrible, horrible things. But it teaches you how to survive this triple X stuff, I'm sure. That's the, <laughs> the goal here. Now it's fun, it's nice and relaxing. A little more relaxing like this tubing because Ida says she can't swim. Now do you bring a box cutter with you when you go tubing? Not normally. Okay. Uh and I th- we don't either. Oh no, and, and and I like that it was like the old timey uh, metal box cutters. We still have a couple of those floating around at my work sometimes. Uh, very industrial. They work all the time. Yes, they do. And you think maybe Ida might fucking slit her throat? What's That's the difference? What I thought too. They're in the middle of nowhere. Is it a drowner? But instead, uh, she understands probably the situation that she can't just straight up kill Terry because Vincent has taken a liking to her. So she's got to make it look like an accident, and she bursts her own balloon, saying that she can't swim. That's a de- that's a boldface lie. She can definitely swim, and tries to drown Terry in the struggles of pretending that she herself is drowning. Farmer Vincent shows up, saves the day. Terry is back in Granny's bed, beautiful bedroom. It's all ornate and uh, and adorned. They leave him alone, and then Terry makes her move. Yeah, because she's all like thankful that she's being saved we think she's got this little bit of stockholm syndrome almost even though she's not being kidnapped like it's just very weird a little bit of brainwashiness she definitely likes the older guy she's being turned off bruce for whatever reason she's been kissing vincent on the cheek more and more every day and she's kissing his hand and then bearing her breasts bearing her breasts and saying kiss me take me when she says kiss me and he kisses her on the forehead (laughs) i love that scene because that just shows where he's coming from and she's like no not like that and like he says we need to be married yeah i love this guy not in that (laughs) way though not in that way no but it's adorable that he wants to get married so she's into that which is yet another moment where i'm just like what the ever living fuck do you not remember that you were driving on your boyfriend's motorcycle a week ago and now you're fucking marrying this old man i can sort of see though someone from the city coming to the country who's never been there before and just being like you can pick apples right off the tree oh my god i'm here forever you know that sort of thinking Mm -hmm. where it's just that pretty and that idyllic and like so what if you're gonna step in cow shit and you're gonna have to reach fucking elbow deep into the guts of a pig to get your dinner but like that sort of stuff can fly because everything else is so beautiful nice pure sweet innocent clean and new to her so maybe that's just the way they do it out there in the country well look you're talking about a county that fucking buries people yeah with apropos of of like no telling no one so you can just bury people you may as well just marry people and man he goes to the priest the next day and plans the fucking ceremony absolutely which is hilarious that's wolfman jack that is wolfman jack famous famous radio personality so famous in fact that when i took radio there was a study block on this dude i could believe it Mm-hmm. Definitely. I grew up with my parents quoting Wolfman Jack. I probably did listen to Wolfman Jack, I guess, when I was little, because it would be on if they were listening to it, but it would be overnight 
radio. They had shortwave radio to pick up weird stations, too. So, like, my parents were very into that. Big audiophiles all my life, but, like, very into Wolfman Jack. Mm-hmm. Definitely at the epicenter of of the 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 teenager fascination with radio, how it was a, a young medium, and the good music too. Yeah, 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 yeah fucking yeah. good music, and the free thinking. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Like when you want to have like that that when you think about the epitome of cool. Let me tell you something, guys. <laughs> radio personalities these days, they're not cool. No, no, they are not fucking cool, and I don't care. How cool they sound. Not even your shock jocks. No, they're not cool. It's a very buttoned-down, regulated, regimented business. Wolfman, Jack's Day? He could do or say anything, and he proved it because he did or said anything, and he wasn't a shock jock. No. No, he was just a free-thinking, cool guy. Yeah, played whatever the fuck he wanted. Yeah. And and that's just how it used to be. It is not like that anymore. Uh, my friends in radio are very buttoned-down, regular-habited people, not much different from government employees, honestly. Yeah, that's very true. They're very nice people. Hi, guys. Yeah, it's true. I went the fucking underground route. I went the podcast route. Yeah, which those worlds are colliding. I've been listening it's, to a lot of CBC podcasts lately and a lot of true, true crime CBC podcasts. Yeah, so, uh yeah. I'll be giving you my notice, Wes, in a weeks, and I'm going to open up my own true crime podcast or just how to prepare head cheese podcast. I could talk about that marriage of city and country and how to fucking smoke a dog. I like that you are the least corporate person that I've ever met in my entire life. Much So much so that if I even suggest that this type of thinking exists and I'm okay with it, you look at me like I've killed your dog, should you have one. <laughs> But now you're fucking leaving me for the man. The man, Lydia. Oh, I kind of prefer to think of the CBC as a woman. The woman? You're yeah. leaving me for the woman? What? You nasty. Well, you know, they have better uh, post-production. Whoa! Good night, everybody. <laughs> no, it's kind of hilarious because <laughs> yeah. I help do the post, too. But, I mean, yeah. I, I do have a love affair with radio. Mm-hmm. We we know this. Listen to a lot of podcasts, let alone CBC all my life, and mm-hmm. n- know who fucking Wolfman Jack is. Mm-hmm. I could go over the head of a lot of people. There's a lot of little things in this film that could go over the head of people nowadays, let mm-hmm. alone the tone of it. But oh, things yeah. like who the fuck Wolfman Jack is. Yeah, and how that's it would just be a movie where you just see this preacher, and it's not ironic or funny to you that he's confiscating a lewd magazine like it's it's so funny because wolfman jack is a i was just like wolfman jack a bottle of whiskey and a, a hustler magazine just passed out in a corner it makes perfect sense to me yeah but here he's playing a, a, a virtuous preacher but because we know it's wolfman jack you know it's kind of like not a sleaze factor to it but you know it's like oh no this guy's down to clown right and so but again, that is lost on an entire generation because people – and the only reason why I know who that dude is is because of my education in radio. It has nothing to do with the fact that I listened to Wolfman Jack as a kid. No, it was that was gone by yeah. the time I would have been aware of radio, right? Casey Kasem, not so much. I definitely knew that dude, but not Wolfman Jack. Yeah. I like – this is the only like scene really where we get a little exposition because Bruce has to talk to himself in his car, in his cruiser. Yeah. Because Wolfman Jack tells him, 
that, well, your brother's getting married. And he's like, well, to who? He's like, that little thing that he rescued last week. But Bruce is, A, so Bruce is mad about this. And we know definitively at this point that that Bruce doesn't really have an idea about what his brother does or a very, or, or perhaps has been in denial about it his whole life. But he seems to be upset for two reasons. A, he liked Terry and wanted to hook up with her. He and thought they had a thing. He thought they had a thing. He's like, uh, let me know uh, if you uh, want any more excitement later. Walks away, winks at everybody like, she's into me. Like, fuck, with your fucking mud all over your face. I'm like, your an fucking, idiot. Fucking gropey hands. Gropey hands. It's like, she doesn't like you, dude. She doesn't fucking like you at all, man. Yeah. Anyway, um, and then also, like, he's talking about, like, the age gap and shit like that. And he also just has, like, a bad feeling about it. And so now what he's going to do is he's going to go rush to her and try to, what the hell are you thinking? I do like the engagement party, though. The engagement party is pretty weird. It's birthday party hats. And birthday party hats, noisemakers, champagne, mm-hmm. which is nice. And that Ida's involved in this. Yeah. He Ida's- proposes with the cutest, like, um, ring box I ever did see. Mm. And then they put on fucking party hats and Ida's there. I don't know. I don't know. It's just very, 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 very weird. It's something straight out of the loved ones or inbred, like with this jovial festival atmosphere for Mm -hmm. a minute for no fucking reason. But again, I I think for engagement, engagement. But I think that um, the the Smiths know what they're doing, believe in what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And even though they know that other people wouldn't understand. And so they have to keep it secret. I don't consider them evil people, just very, very warped people. Yeah. So I don't think that they would really even harm her knowingly. And even Farmer Vincent is convinced that he treats people better than other people treat their livestock. And And and, a lot of farmers do have that. There's people that keep their bees better than other people treat other people. And it's very, very true, especially in the city. People treat each other like fucking dog shit a lot, Mm -hmm. a lot more than people in the country do. But then it can appear to be quite monstrous when you can treat other people very well and treat your animals very well, but then also chop their head off Mm -hmm. in the blink of an eye. Mm -hmm. So I can see that appearing quite monstrous and evil or warped, like you were saying. Mm-hmm. And and also it speaks to this idea, this idyllic um, place that Terry might be falling in love with that's so isolated. And it's just us. And isn't this fun? It's like this closed little community of it's 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 you, Vincent, and, and Ida, and and Bruce, and just this small town, and everyone knows everybody. And, and this party just has to be us. And maybe it only matters because it's just us. Because in the city or whatever, she might be thinking, it's all fake. It's all friends that you know that you hang out with that you don't even like 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 people escaping that idea and this sort of how everyone believes that everything's just a little bit more genuine yeah she could have been dating patrick bateman and go out to the countryside and realize how fed up with that shit she is exactly you don't know country but I, I definitely think that she is falling in love with her Doors, environment yeah. and and also just very excited because the idea where she's like are you proposing to me yeah, but she definitely kind of seems like that type of lady where she just, yeah, yeah, sure, I'll take a, a joyride with you and get on your bike. Oh, shit, where am I? Oh, a farmhouse? Yeah, sure, I'll stay here for a few days. Oh, yeah, I'll screw this old dude. Oh, you want to get married instead? Yeah, all right, yeah, sure. Like, that's... that's, that's it's fucking nuts to me. Yeah, but, I, I like, fucking feather and breeze, man. Yeah. 
And while she's content living her life as the Forrest Gump of horror, she is getting fucking told by Bruce that it's no good. No good. You got to get yeah, out Yeah, Vincent here. has syphilis of the brain. Yeah. Whatever yeah. the fuck. Why pull that one out of his ass? I don't know, but... He very well could. Who knows? I have no idea. I don't mm-hmm. think the guy's ever had any sex in his life. I don't know how he would have ended up with syphilis. But, like, Vincent's very, very against this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And. Or, sorry. Bruce is very, very, very against this. Yeah. 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 Vincent shows up with a fucking shotgun. Yeah. I like where he first had it aimed sort of at his side. and thinking, that would be a fun place to shoot someone because it would not mortally wound them. They'd probably bleed to death eventually, but it would definitely tear open uh, their stomach and all the internal organs would have been spilling out. It would have been a really perfect spot just right in the side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. just under the ribs. Um, and then he points it at his crotch, which I'm like, oh, Farmer Vincent is a funny guy. And this is the sort of comedy stuff that's not quite slapstick, not quite comedy, but when you're thinking about it, mm-hmm. You're not totally horrified by what you're seeing mm-hmm. on the screen. It can have shades of humor. It can, and 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 it and it does. Believe me, when when people, if people think that this movie is funnier, I just maybe you got to be stoned or something. I don't know, but um, yeah, I can sit through a whole episode, or could sit through a whole episode of um, Dukes of Hazard, and it wasn't funny to me. I didn't find any of it funny, and it is a comedy, I guess, but like. There are people who will watch Duke, Dukes of Hazard and just be howling. Yeah, right? I watched Dukes of Hazard when I was a kid too in reruns, obviously, and I never really it never struck me as a comedy. It struck me as a very low stakes action y show. Exactly. Same here. Same here. Um, but there are people who found it as a comedy. So if you're the type of person that would be howling over fucking Dukes of Hazard, you will find this funny as shit. Yeah. But kicks, if, him in the, kicks him in the butt, tells him to get the fuck out of here. Yeah. And this is what I find the most offensive of everything, of everything, Lydia. Because now, now that he believes himself to be cock-blocked or something yeah. by his brother, now, for the first time probably ever... Bruce is going to decide to be a cop. You would have liked Bruce a lot better if he was like, yeah. like our pal Winston. <laughs> you want him to know where all the best parties are. Well, yeah, I do. I look. First of all, Winston is fucking radical. Yeah. And if there's anyone else I'd like to party with, I can't imagine it. But I also don't think Winston was a very good police officer either. Well, neither's fucking Bruce. He's a no. horrible fucking cop. But yeah, now that he's pissed off with his brother, he decides to investigate the crash that landed Terry there. Yeah. And he finds out that, yeah, the tires have been blown out, uh, shot. And then he finds the car graveyard, which is not well hidden. Not it well is... hidden at all and way bigger than we thought. Yeah, we thought maybe this was just a... A desperation maneuver to just get the car in the water and forget about it and he hadn't planned on it. But no, this seems to be he was leading this woman to that area and then using her to just basically dump her own car. According to Bruce, there's over 200 cars in this fucking lake. 200 fucking vehicles. That's crazy. Yeah, that could represent 400 to 600 people, depending. Yeah. That's crazy. Absolutely. Look... These cocksuckers have been doing this for fucking 30 years, right? And we know at the very least they've killed a dozen people in the movie alone. It's only the span of a few days. Every night, every single night, Farmer Vincent is coming out and trying to grab people. And every time he does, he's grabbing a a van full of bandmates 
There's like fucking five people right there. Uh, a, a duo of women. Uh, two people coming to the hotel. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, the, the, these people are just adding up at an exponential rate. And if that, if you say that this is a span of a week, maybe two weeks maximum, over the course of 30 years, yeah, I almost feel like 200 cars is kind of underselling it. Yeah, I suppose. I suppose you're definitely right. I wish we could have saw the different makes and models and mm-hmm. methods of fucking disabling. Like, I really like that about Hillbilly or car lots. And like, what we know about bodies of water like that how many vehicles you see 200 vehicles how many have sunk completely yeah. below the surface of the like the mud okay so there could be like a thousand cars yes because you keep pi- you keep piling all that weight on each other it's just going to keep sinking into the mud and they'll start to rust out so they'll start to compact even more and then eventually just crumble oh yeah wow i i, I love that angle of this i really love that because it's a fresh one mm-hmm. i think yeah I, I, I like it a lot but of course, they are spending time with like tempering and seasoning their cattle, as it were, the people that they are buried in the ground, mm-hmm. and doing all these things to make the meat just special. And they're expert fucking slaughterhouse workers, so they're definitely slaying all these animals and preparing the meat just so. Yeah, I could see if they're preparing like a head or two of cattle every night, or p- killing a person or two every night, or three. They could, yeah, definitely be going through people at this rate all for 30 years. That's crazy and wonderful and delicious and perfect to me, which, you know, keeps it nice and dark. It does keep it nice and dark. But don't you worry because old Farmer Vincent's a nice guy. He's not just going to fucking, like, kill you outright. Once you're ready, prepped, fed, and stuffed, he's going to fucking hypnotize you with these psychedelic boxes of whatever and then he's gonna tell you that you're going on a mystical journey it's a radical hypno high a radical hypno and to see Roy Calhoun deliver these lines is fucking hilarious I love it and it's so fucking surreal I love the and and almost seems like I'm watching some kind of weird exploitation picture from the early 70s late 1960s where you're just unironically spouting out these you're gonna travel beyond mars people are so far out they got wings and you got ida there standing by yelling things like aye aye captain oh he, yeah i know Spaceship right? is ready to launch oh my god they're spouting some yellow submarine shit it's fucked up i He's love got it. these little spiral disc light setups in front of three of the band members faces mm-hmm. cliff clavin included which yeah, is kind yeah. of funny and he's hypnotizing them with these fucking things, which is just weird. And at first I'm thinking, why the fuck is he going through this trouble? They are, they can't scream. They can't move. Just kill them. Just fucking kill them. But then I thought about it a little harder. I'm like, okay, I'm thinking about this like a killer and victims. If you're thinking about it like a farmer and his cattle, like you don't want to scare them. You don't want scared meat. It's the same problem with hunting if you have half killed a deer and it's dragging its ass through the bush and you're chasing a blood trail for a fucking day. You don't really, you might not want to eat that deer because it's going to taste like shit. It's got panic in its blood. That's why snaring a rabbit, if it doesn't like break its neck or whatever, it's probably going to taste pretty tough and gamey because it's died in fear and you don't want these people to die in fear. So you're going to 
send them on a radical hypno fucking high to <laughs> chill them out. And they are pretty chill. It relaxes them. Oh, they're, they're googly eyed and just head swaying. They have no idea what the fuck is like, happening. Hypnotizing a chicken is a way easier way to chop its head off because like you can take a struggling chicken and once you straighten their neck out and sit on the chopping block, they do kind of calm down for whatever fucking weird chicken reason. But it's a lot easier and they don't flop around and flop around so much if you hypnotize them first, which is the cutest, easiest, funnest thing to do. Because all you do is you hold the chicken and you pet their 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 beak. You put your two fingers just like you were gonna like pick something up to pinch it, just like picking something up with just your two fingers, take a pinch of salt, so to speak, mm-hmm. and you put that on the top of their beak right near their eyes and just stroke down to the tip. And you just do that over and over and over and then you feel their body go limp. Because whatever, they're watching your fingers on each side of their beak and they've got those like prey eyes instead of predator eyes so they can't really focus correctly in front of them. So doing that scrambles their brain just a tiny bit, right? And you can feel them go limp and they're going to just stare at, in space and hardly move. So it's a lot easier to, to kill them. We hypnotized our pet crow, testing this out one day, me and my ex. And we felt pretty bad doing it and the crow never fell for it again. But we hypnotize the crow by dude stroking down its beak with two fingers and then just set it on the ground and it just sat there for about 10 minutes. And then all of a sudden it fell over and then it shook its head and looked at us like, you fucking assholes. Like it was so pissed off that we had like frozen it for almost 10 minutes. So I think this is what they're doing. It's a double thing. They're calming it down so they're not going to be killing a scared animal. And they're hypnotizing it to make it easier to behead or kill and break the neck of. Mm-hmm, what mm-hmm. do you think of their method of, of killing these animals? People, rather. Gotcha. So the method that they use is they have nooses around each one of these guys' necks. And then they just haul ass on their tractor and just snaps their necks. Um, I mean, I guess. Whatever. It just breaks their neck. Um, and they have no idea what the F is going on because they're so fucking on their hypno high. They're on their hypno high. So I guess it works. Whatever. They get dragged out of the earth and then it's time to clean and prep these people, which is what Ida and Vincent plan to do. I so badly want to throw another Simpsons reference and have someone washing in a tub with a rag on a stick. But <laughs> I'm, all, I'm done with Simpsons references today. <laughs> now... This is when old Bruce boy comes back and tries to to convince Terry, wakes her up after she's been drugged. Now, I think the purpose of drugging her at the ceremony was a ceremony. That's grandiose. I think the purpose of drugging her at this little party that they were having was just so they could go and get the meat and clean the meat. I don't know if it was entirely necessary. I almost thought that Farmer Vincent was going along with Ida, thinking, okay, yeah, now she knows too much. Let's just kill her. I was like, why? Why would you go to all the trouble to marry her and all that kind of stuff if you're just going to kill her now? It doesn't make any sense. Why lull her into a false sense of security? She is as lulled into a false sense of security as humanly possible. She's hypnotized like a chicken. She wants to bang you, dude. There's like She will believe anything you say. And there's almost a point when Bruce shows up that you think that she might not even believe him this time or maybe not even care because she's brushing the whole thing off. However, it becomes very obvious to her as Ida straight up attacks Bruce, figures out what's going on and incapacitates him quite handily. Ida is not a woman to be fucked with. She is quite able to take down 
grown people. No She's problem. very Kathy Bates uh, from Misery. Yeah. 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 And like you could really supplant the same character almost. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why I'd love to see Ray Wise and Kathy Bates take on these roles. Could be hilarious to me. But yeah, she's not. Uh, she's a farm girl. Yeah. Straight up. Yeah. You don't fuck with a girl like that. No, <laughs> she'll fuck you up. And this would be her brother? Because we're still confused about exactly Ida, if she's their sister or cousin or what. She's somebody. The she's po- somebody. She's somebody that bears the surname. Yeah. And she definitely seems to be, I'm not more, not more brutal, but she definitely seems to enjoy it on a different level than Vincent. And she also seems to want to adhere to it more directly than Vincent. Because again, Vincent has made the choice to bring Terry in and not just plant her with everyone else. There's no distinct reason that he doesn't. And like I was saying earlier, it can't just be, be well, he thinks she's pretty. He captures other I really thought that he wanted progeny. If they're not into fucking and having brats... Then he needs someone to pass this on to. He is getting older. Mm-hmm. Ida's even getting older. Bruce doesn't seem to be interested. And he lets on later he ran away from home at 11 years old. So he's just not into this meat thing. He'll eat it, but he's not into doing it. So, and maybe he can't be trusted or whatever the reason is. He does need someone to pass this on to, I think. That's what I had thought. Um, later on we get a little more validation for that but at this time i thought he just wants to take her in as a daughter Mm -hmm. i really thought that and i still think that so i think that he was like well if what it takes to have this girl stick around is marrying her and kissing her maybe he seems very sex repulsed that's what he's gonna do Mm -hmm. no i think you really hit the nail on the head there with the idea of passing this information on to a new generation if at this point he is too old now which is really important to a lot of uh, older generations, especially farm types. Uh, there's a whole, um, a huge, amazing collection of books called Foxfire. Uh, I think it's 1 through 23 is the series. There might even be more or less. I have no idea. But it was uh, it started out as a student project. These students were dispatched to the Ozarks to talk to old people about how to, like, preserve food, tan hides, and keep bees the old-fashioned ways. And... It turned into this huge series because the kids went out and not only were the kids super fascinated on stuff like how to make glass from fucking sand or whatever the hell they were writing about. They were so fascinated by all of this and so good at learning like how to make candles or whatever. And the older people were like, you know, a lot of our sons and daughters have left for the cities to go to universities and never fucking came back. So we have no one to hand all this information down to and if you're going to write it down and put it into books then we definitely want to share the step by step how to do these things to a way of preserving these methods so i i really get where vincent's coming from with that and so would these people that had lived homesteaders in the ozarks wanting to pass down this information the exact same way i've definitely um in my travels on youtube and stuff like that have seen interesting videos about lost human information information about how to cure diseases that we don't have anymore how to prepare food that has gone extinct how to use every bit of the animal yeah that type of stuff not just the chicken breasts not just the chicken breasts and the the drumsticks yeah i'm sure they have legs (laughs) they're not just called drumsticks um and, and that and that can seem very strange 
and off-putting to some people. Like, you know, someone's like, I'm going to eat the neck, right? Eat the heart. Uh, and the people are like, whoa, gross. Oh, turkey necks are awesome. My, my mother fucking loves that shit. Yeah. Me and your mom should sit down with some head cheese. <laughs> she might enjoy that. Vincent, once Bruce has been incapacitated and Terry been brought to him, it becomes apparent that he needs to scramble to try to save her because if not, if she cannot be swayed, if she cannot be convinced, then he's going to have to make the move. Or let Ida, because I think Ida, Ida would fucking do it in a heartbeat. Yeah, I think Ida... Like, Not that she hates her. She seems she to, like, if you're into this and into my brother, I'm fine with you being here. Yeah. I'm your best fucking sister-in-law ever. Yeah. Uh, and and he says his philosophy on this entire thing, which I think is fascinating. The idea that there's too much people in the world and not enough food. This solves both problems. And I treat these, I treat my livestock better than other people treat their livestock. And these people don't suffer. I make sure that they're happy and they're content and they go to a higher purpose. And this is my higher purpose from God. He doesn't seem manic. He doesn't seem twisted, except for the idea that he's talking about some very twisted things. Well, it's fucking humans. And you could take that speech and apply it to absolutely any farmer, especially when some, uh, you know, animal ethics vegan comes banging on their doors. Any farmer, that's the response really is like, this is this is what I do. It is for a higher purpose. I treat my animals very good. Not talking about like the fucking meat industry machine that doesn't mm-hmm. treat animals mm-hmm. good, but a typical farmer, like the place where Hinchenberger gets their meat and stuff like mm-hmm. that, free range stuff and, yeah. and that kind of that kind of deal. Except that Vincent is talking about people. He is talking about people, and I've heard that argument from vegetarians and stuff like that. In my life, where they where they don't differentiate any animal, uh, Terry kind of saying they're people, they're people, and he's doesn't see it that way. I know I spent uh, four of the eight years that I spent as a vegetarian, as a vegan, not for ethical reasons necessarily, but I do share a lot of I good love animals. Mm-hmm. I would definitely eat people, so I can see where he's coming from yet again. Like I relate to Vincent on a lot of levels, and his eating people levels yeah definitely um they've done a lot more harm and a lot more fit to die there's a lot more of them and they're a lot easier to raise and care for and slaughter than most fucking farmyard animals so he's got a pretty sweet operation going on here he does terry does not see it that way this is where things are going to get interrupted Mm. because oh shit the hens are out of the hen house the hens are out of the hen house yeah Someone didn't close the barn door. Oh, Bo, our good friend, uh, who was, I guess, Terry's boyfriend that she doesn't miss, has wiggled his way out of the earth. Which I've been waiting for all of this time. Yeah, you you leave these people alone, and they're not really tied in there. They're amongst, their, their arms are free. They are in soil, but they're only up to their neck. You give them enough time and tenacity they might get out and sure enough Bo does get out and then subsequently frees everyone else in the garden that's still alive and then they go like a bunch of gurgling zombies towards motel hell which tells me that farmer vincent has very loamy soil it's not very high sand content he hasn't been watering these people probably at all i I suppose except for inside their tummies 
but he hasn't been watering them because um and there's probably not a lot of clay in the soil because it would have compacted over time especially if he'd been watering them so if anyone's planning on using this method to farm humans i'd suggest watering them to keep them sort of cemented into they the get ground. them all pruny and bloated though no not really like i think that the soil if it's a better a loam sand mix would keep them at a pretty constant hydration I don't mean like soak them. You don't want them floating in the stuff, but enough to pack the soil down around them. You don't want that airy, fluffy soil like you would for, say, potatoes, if you're hilling potatoes. Well, Farmer Vincent should have listened to you. And I'm afraid he didn't, though, and I wish he had, because now they got another problem. He sends Ida out, which she dutifully obeys, and then she gets completely fucking overwhelmed by these people. I thought for a split second, she's just going to fucking fight all these people and win. Because, I mean, they seem very weakened. They haven't, some of them probably haven't moved in a week, if not more, two weeks, something like that. So... They're very disoriented. I was going to say they haven't eaten, but they definitely have been force-fed. I really, really had a problem with this because if you're in the ground for a day or five, you probably have beyond pins and needles. You're going to be atrophied maybe however long you've been in there. I don't know. Like I can't see them crawling out and staggering around even. I can't see them being able to move for a fucking hour, but mm-hmm. whatever. I also see her, like you said, taking them all on with like a Kaiser blade or some people call it a sling blade. <laughs> French fried taters. Yeah. That's how I picture her just suddenly devolving and, uh, yeah, taking them all on. But No, no I, I really thought, I was like, man, she's going to get the best of them. She's going to fuck all these dudes up. <laughs> like, they're not going to be able to do that. Because she's like... Th- She's like manhandling them. Like she's like fucking just throwing them around and shit. Yeah. Um, but eventually they do have vastly superior numbers and they uh, seem to take her down. Old Brucey boy is going to go do what he can to, I guess, stop his brother from killing her. And rescue Terry, the eternal damsel in distress. Or I love how you called her the Forrest Gump of horror, by the way. Because she just stumbles through this yeah. fucking shit. Fuck. Oh, I can't stand her. I'm the whole. I'm reining in all sorts of Terry Haves that I'm not going to get into it. I'm just going to accept her for the fucking potato head that she is. She's look horror. Horror has in it some wonderful examples of female empowerment. Wonderful examples of progressive thinking. Between races and genders and and sexuality, and it can really be a shining light in some examples of horror to hold it up and say, "This is what your stories can compose on, uh, compose of." You can go against the grain and you can demonstrate in very demonstrable ways progression with the use of fictional characters and narrative. Yeah, you don't have to fall into tropes because it does take all kind of critters to make Farmer Vincent's fritters and. There's many different examples of different types of women and men in this entire planet to choose from. Yeah. Terry is not a good example. It's like if, if someone were to be talking about... The simpering weak. Like female character and someone trying to like use horror is sexist and horror is lame and, and, and women have no agency and and they're just damsels in distress and and are there to look hot and no one cares about them and not in the good gothic horror way either yeah no this is a unfortunately a very easy example to pull from yeah. you like and and we have to just acknowledge that and 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 say that 
I guess for the plot, they didn't feel like she needed. And I would have liked for her to get in on it a little bit, maybe not be need to be rescued. Um, because I almost feel like if she had a few, if he had a whole other 24 hours with her, he probably would have been able to just convince her that this is probably a good idea and yeah, she would have joined totally. him. Even marriage or not, you know, yeah, yeah. she probably would have because she's that gullible. And, you know, as much as I enjoyed this, I did really enjoy this. And I even enjoyed Terry because it's just surreal. There's so many times when I just wanted to pour vinegar in my eye dealing yeah. with her and seeing the fucking boneheaded move she's made. It's it, it, yeah, And the not thinking going on there. Yeah. It doesn't ruin this film for me at no, all. No, no, no. But it is definitely something that I have to acknowledge and say, mm, don't really like that. You kind of want to, with her, turn brain off insert film. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, which doesn't always work, but in this instance, it works. Now, this comes to the the to the, the most iconic scene in this entire film. The, the it's on the cover. They make fucking like toys of this guy. Like this is what people think of when they think of Motel Hell. They think of a giant pig mask on Farmer Vincent's head and a massive chainsaw, rivaling the chainsaws in. All the Texas Chainsaw Massacres, and I'm including, like, the ridiculous, like, trailer for the third one where there's, like, a beaming, shining fucking chainsaw, like the fucking sword of Excalibur the here. Sexiest chainsaw I ever did see, you mean? Yeah, 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 that one. This is just a giant fucking red chainsaw. And this is the most against the grain I've ever seen this portrayal of the character, it almost seems like an afterthought or it almost seems like they wanted uh, Rory Calhoun to do a thing. And then in this instance, he did something completely different. It's the it's so maniacal and it's the fevered. mask entirely. Do you like, think it's a persona that he's put got on? to be because he's not a killer and he's given the speech to explain his position. And even when the mask is off, he instantly becomes this calm, cool, collected, sweet, gentle, caring guy again. But when that mask is on, watch the fuck out. He is dangerous he is frenzied he is bloodthirsty he will kill his brother he will kill his brother with a fucking chainsaw and he doesn't seem to care what injuries he sustains either he will do whatever it takes it's so outside the box in terms of what we know about this character because we what we know of farmer vincent he is a very twisted and warmed individual but he doesn't seem cruel no. and he seems to have a moral code and he almost like puts people into these Rube Goldberg style situations to cause their death too. Or it's not him just fucking straight up killing them with this mask on though. He's beautiful and bloody and bold and fucking balls out insane. Oh yeah. The the reds at Pops from the red of the blood, the red of his shirt, the red of the uh, red chainsaw. Light on there. Like it's... Oh yeah. It looks fucking fantastic. And this chainsaw fight is really satisfying because yeah, the camera is pretty tight in a lot of instances. But they stay really, they stay, this, this is the scene. They don't, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 that we recently did, they, there's a lot of cutaways with that There's shot. a lot of cutaways and there's also a lot of like 
uh, fumbles where mm-hmm. you think like, oh, he would have, if he wanted to kill a guy, he would have just scrambled up and did this. Or if he mm-hmm. really wanted to kill this guy, he'd do this. These two look like they really are, they want to kill one another and you mm-hmm. really believe it. And it, it remains dynamic because they almost follow like a Chucksaki kind of way where they're going through rooms and mm-hmm. there's other things that, that are not interrupting, but interacting with their fight as well. And they're mm-hmm. interacting mm-hmm. with their environment while they're fighting, which is pretty realistic, dynamic, and eye-catching. Yeah. And in this moment, the maniacal screaming of Farmer Vincent, um, Terry has is tied down to this table that is now in motion, and it, it's going to, like, kill her. This- yeah, it's a saw blade for chunking meat, uh, chunking a, a pig up. Mm-hmm where it's got a conveyor belt that's being pulled along closer and closer to the blade, and there is a mechanism that is just pushing things every so often, depending on how fast you have it set, how thick this cut of meat will be, and it's just going to basically, like, cut her three inches off the top of her head, and it's going to cut her at her neck, and it's going to cut her fucking chest in half, like, if it's left to go. This is what's happening. So she's freaking out, and you have the sound of one chainsaw over top of the screaming, and another chainsaw that Bruce is frantically trying to get started. Mm-hmm. When he eventually does, and it just basically becomes like a sword fight with chainsaws. Obviously, us knowing a thing or two about chainsaws know, like, those fucking things, like, this, like the chains would have snapped, those would have stalled. Uh, like, obviously, this whole fucking mechanism would seized up. Chainsaws are not meant to be used this way. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's fun, though. It's very fun. Again, I love I'll it. I'll suspend my disbelief. Oh, for sure. And it is very fun. I do like it a lot. This scene is fucking fantastic. Yeah, Bruce gets chopped up quite a bit. Oh, yeah. And, and this... chainsaws chew, and that's a horrible wound. Oh, yeah. Like, not easily fixable if he were to even survive the encounter at all. Yeah, he gets a couple, like, on his legs and arms and stuff. It's, it's really gross. It's, it is really gross. Yeah. And, and honestly, this, this film is rather tame with the violence. Oh, yeah. It's a lot of gory concepts, a lot of dark, evil concepts. But it's quite tame on terms of, like, an explicitly gory film. I think the goriest thing up to this point, the thing that gave me... Like a little tiny squick factor was when she's checking under the bandages at the damage they've done to people's vocal cords, Mm -hmm. which is pretty realistic looking. And she's like, oh, that healed up well. So Mm -hmm. it's almost got that sort of squick factor you get watching Human Centipede. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Not explicit, but also a lot of implication makes things grosser. Yeah. Now, you have this interesting dynamic of two brothers fighting each other. And the revelation of, of, of Vincent's world all coming, crashing down around his ears. This person, this woman that he wanted to pass on his information doesn't understand, rejects his lifestyle, rejects this concept that he believes is his duty from God. You have his brother now knowing the full truth or being unable to deny the truth at this point, now fighting to kill each other. And I think that once the final blow on Vincent is delivered, it's that moment where it stops being about mutual destruction and it they tend to actually dial into the fact because uh, dial into the fact that they are blood and this is it has come to this and it will end like this because Bruce delivers a look to his brother once he realizes that he won. Yeah, it's up until that very moment, it's like he has vanquished a foe and killed the pig-headed monster. But the moment that he's realized that this is a mortal injury, it's his brother all over again. And it's a very touching scene and acted very, very well and believable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, 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 his face softens and he kind of has this 
oh my, what have I done? And oh my God. And when they, when he finally manages to get Terry off the conveyor belt and they go back to Farmer Vincent, pulls off the mask and, and uh, yeah, and Farmer Vincent is wholly himself again, or at least the persona that we've come used to in the last 90 minutes of this film. And he just, uh, he tells his brother that you know the, you to have the hotel it's yours and a kind of a, a little touching thing he's like you take care of my pigs like you know my, my animals my animals yeah like like you take care of them and and as he's just slowly dying and then he says my whole life's been a lie I'm the biggest hypocrite of them all and here you might think that the part of us that thinks like this is this the 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 monster red- in his final moments of death about to redeem himself by saying or a, 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 a what kind of revelation could he he's not going to tell us that the meat is people we all already know that know everyone that. in that room knows the meat is people I thought like when you watch it I kind of want the line to be like I never ate the meat or I I'm as a vegetarian yeah. or something like that but no he in what I think is hands down the funniest line in the entire movie which actually doesn't make it a comedy to me, but I'm like, nah, I could see people laughing really hysterically at this. I can't. Um, he says, I used preservatives. And then he dies. And I just thought, you know, it's the same as body shop testing on animals, which I'm convinced they continue to do. Mm-hmm. But you know what? Like, everyone's a fucking liar. Everybody lies. Everybody lies. So it, it was a bit of a groaner to me. It didn't put it into the realm of comedy. But yeah, I could see some people needing to relieve the tension after all of that carnage with some sort of yuck yuck thing. But yeah, I don't know. Whatever. It was kind of a throwaway line to me. The movie could do just as well with or without. It doesn't matter. No, I think that the, my my idea of saying that he was a vegetarian would be a better line. I'm oh, just saying that this is a line a way that we, better line, except that we saw him eat it. That's the only problem yeah, with that. But, yeah. like, yeah. And there could have been... They probably tried a million other lines, sort of like in Fight Club, the whole, like, I haven't been fucked like that since grade school, all the outtakes of all the different lines that she had tried. Helena Bonham Carter was like, I want to have your abortion, and all the other, like, little things that she had said. I, I would love to see the outtake real if there were... A whole bunch of different things that he just could have said, and they just picked whatever one worked. Mm-hmm. That would have been fun because I would have plugged in like all we could have plugged in all kinds of lines there, Wes. That's true. Yeah, like the ring was plastic. <laughs> that would have been good. When Bruce and Terry walk away, this kind of demonstrates everything to me. Where. Bruce says we need to like what do we do like contact the authorities and on you are this is going to be an investigation investigation all yeah. this kind of stuff Terry's just like you just burn it just burn it all and he's like arson he's like yeah that's what I would do I'm like yeah I guess it is what you would do you would literally just burn this entire place down and get on like the go ba- get in the cruiser and go, fucking drive away and drive away and like I guess live somewhere else for an hour or whatever the hell it is that you're very strange human being was Terry I do not get her at all I don't get her but at it all. does you right sum her up in her thinking of just like just burn it just whatever away. burn it whatever well, I don't care yeah I was like what the fuck what the fuck yeah but it's a fitting end I suppose because mm-hmm. I, I like in my mind what I really wanted was her and Bruce to, you know, hunker down and he could play out his rape fantasies on his new wife every night or whatever the fuck he wants to do. And they could like carry on the tradition 
and maybe take the no preservatives thing off the meat sign down the road and just carry on. I think that what should have happened was, is that a new ending, this is my fucking pitch, you go, Bo, her old boyfriend that we know is not dead, goes in there, fights Farmer Vincent, uh, she watches him fight and kill him and into the furnace or whatever, then Bruce shows up and uh, and is trying to rescue her, and then all the other people that were in the garden show up, and then like everyone's like uh, overwhelming Farmer Vincent with like the chainsaw she grabs a chainsaw and like in like this show of i'm gonna protect my man now is like fucking fights them all off and then cut to black and then next thing you know like it's a bag getting pulled off a head we're back it's a pov shot from bruce's perspective of her standing over him now he's in the garden and then she delivers that all kinds of critters to make Farmer Vincent Fritter's line. And then they pose and, in the American Gothics. Yeah, and then the, credits. Oh my God, I love that. Yes. Wouldn't that, that's, yes. that's, that's what I want. Oh man. I'm going to call up Ray Wise and I'm going to get a hold of Kathy Bates mm-hmm. and see if they won't help us mm-hmm. with this reimagined ending and the remake. Yeah, because I think like Terry's character, she should have just been convinced, right? Like, At that point, yeah, totally. Because yeah. she could have just been like, well, it is delicious. <laughs> really? That's all it is. Yeah, especially like like Farmer Vincent saying, like, everyone's – like, Bruce is one of the biggest cannibals in the county. He eats more of this meat than anybody. I, uh, speaking of cannibals and eating meat, I am starving for a change. It's not just you. <laughs> okay, what do we got next for him? We have some cannibals coming up next. Oh. <laughs> Not really. I'm thinking more of the novel. We're going to get into Psycho because we can't get out of these hotels, it seems. <laughs> so we got to move on to the next one, which is Psycho, the original. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be really excited to do that. It's Alfred Hitchcock at arguably his best in some people's uh, opinion. Mm-hmm. And... It is absolutely iconic classic horror that we're just doing. We don't need a commentary track. We're just doing it. Yeah. We thought that Motel Hall was a pretty looking place. We get to hang out with the Bates Motel in the mansion, and I'm pretty happy to see this house. And then we're going to play out our own rape fantasies. Oh, God. Ghost rape fantasies. Oh, God. With the entity. Oh. I had covered the entity ages ago on Kettle Whistle Radio with my friend David Fairhead, and Mm. it was a very good review. Like, I definitely recommend going and and tuning into that. But I, and I'm always, like, super fed by the whole James Wan remaking the entity shit that's been trickling in and out for years and it's not it's off the table now apparently no one's remaking the entity i've been following this apparent entity remake for over 10 years and it just ruins me every year but i haven't uh, talked about the entity for like a year and a half so i really want to and i'm excited to get to this film too i'm excited to go back into the the vault and dig out your ancestral horror film yeah definitely which uh now that you've uh, framed it with the ghost rape thing, kind of shedding a lot of light on you. Oh, well, not at all. Like, it's, uh, you know, I thought it plays in, it ties a nice thread between this film and that film. With Bruce being a little posy and... The ghost being a little posy? The ghost being a little posy. <laughs> Speaking of pause, let's pause this podcast. Yeah, I need to go and get some beef jerky or some, like, not pulled pork. Just a big handful of beef. 
Got a handful of beef for you, baby. No, oh, of course you do. Of course you fucking do. <laughs> and on that note, I'm Wes Knight. And I'm Typical Lydia. And you've been listening to Dead Air. <laughs>